What's up, everybody? It's Andrea. Today, we tear musical theater a new one. We make our position on babysitting crystal clear, and we ask the question, do you guys dislike Keiko and Miles as a couple as much as we do? Stick with us. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Today, we are talking Season 5, Episode 5, entitled Disaster. This episode was written by Dennis McCarthy and directed by Gabrielle Beaumont. Okay, so here's the plot for Disaster. A quantum filament disables the Enterprise, leaving Counselor Troy in command on the bridge and various groups on different parts of the ship facing perils alone. What are your initial thoughts on this episode? Okay, so I vaguely remembered this one. And I remember thinking it was really cute that Picard was with a bunch of kids. And I remembered very discreet things. Like I remembered someone being trapped in a turbo lift. I remembered him calling some little girl number one. And then yes. her and Riker both being like, yes, sir, something to number one. Mm-hmm. And like Troy was in charge of the bridge for some reason. That's all I yes. remembered about this episode. When I rewatched it, like in the rewatching, and I guess this is a little bit of my final thoughts. I was like, oh, this is actually really interesting. There's a lot of things. There's like a whole mm-hmm. adventure going on. There's like all this stuff going on all over the ship. All I remembered was yes. the card and the turbo lift. There's so much more going on in this ship. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, same. So my initial thoughts were, it's a bit of a snoozer. Like I remember Picard singing for Jaka with the kids in the turbo lift. He's got the broken ankle. And that was it. And I remember him saying, you have the bridge number one at the end. Right. And the girl, Marissa and Riker both say, I captain. And then it's like, doo, 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 like a little right. like cheeky moment. Right. Yeah. But like, I don't remember anything else. I do remember the plasma fire and having to suck out all the air in the cargo bay, but I didn't know it was this episode. I just remember that as like kind of a little standalone mm. vignette. I don't remember in my anything mind. else from this episode. And I would, I didn't remember know- the plasma fire. No. And I didn't remember oh Keiko having God. a baby. Like, I feel like that's, a, I remember that. They, I know that they had a kid. Yeah. I had no recollection that they had the kids so early on mm-hmm. in the introduction of the character of Keiko. I think this is our third time seeing her of ever. And now mm. she's like ready to burst. Yeah. I didn't remember anything else. I didn't remember Fair Jaka. That was like, I was like, what? Huh? You so, don't yeah. remember that? Oh God. That's so iconic to me. There's a well, lot this- of stuff going on in this episode. It actually was really fun to watch because it was like, it, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This episode is very much like a slice of life, Mm -hmm. right? Like everybody's, you see these little snippets of things that are going on different parts of the ship. Everything is cruising along cool. And suddenly, bam, this quantum filament hits the enterprise or the enterprise. It's the quantum filament and they get severely fucked up. There's no other word for it. Like main computers down people's arms and legs are broken. Life support is killed. They're on secondary life. Dead person. Like, they get really fucked up like in a Mm -hmm. bad way. And it's like, Whoa, Oh my God. Just that one thing alone, just the main computer is down that one thing alone. The thing that controls the whole effing ship from the temperature to the oxygen, to the food, to the showers, to the medicine, everything is created by the computer that is now offline. Yes. That alone is terrifying. Yes. So a couple of things that stand out in this episode. And then Sharice, what I'd like to do, if that's cool with you, is like, because we have these sort of four main storylines, we can kind of do each one from start to finish. Yeah. That sounds like because a good Because otherwise plan. we're bouncing around a lot. Like the, um, like the episode did, which was really yeah. exciting. And you should watch it if you haven't seen this yes. one yet. But listening to a teardown of an episode that bounced around a lot, maybe isn't as fun as watching the episode <laughs> itself. <laughs> I mean, that's just me, but there are a couple of external shots of the enterprise as like, we come back from commercial and it looks so spooky with like all the lights off. And it's just, 
absolutely dead in the water. And it's like, whoa, you know, the Mm -hmm. thought, and even as a little kid, I understood this, like you're just adrift in space. That is freaking terrifying. 100%. This actually made me think this is one of the few times where I realized that starships are supposed to be like ships in the ocean. This is one of those few times when I make that connection when they go adrift and in this scene where there's this huge crash and everyone physically falls off their chairs and yeah. the turbo lift screeches to a halt and then plummets several decks and all of this, it makes me think of a submarine. And I just think again, submarines are terrifying, right? Yes. Like you are trapped instead of being surrounded by water that mm-hmm. could crush you. You're surrounded by the vacuum of space, but the same kind of principle remains that you can't leave. You can't just walk out. If this isn't going well, you're trapped yes. and it's really scary. And it made me appreciate how brave everyone is to live on a spaceship yeah actually live there like you can't leave if something goes down on that ship if it everything locks down and all the doors are closed and you can't it's kind of like that thought of having a fully smart automated home mm-hmm. and you're like what if the ai turns evil or what if there's a power shortage right and now you're trapped in your room or your bathroom or your bed whatever because all the smart locks are closed and that's kind yes. of what i'm thinking especially when the bridge locked down because the main computer was off and all the bulkheads dropped and stuff. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you can't get out of the bridge. You can't get into the bridge. Yes. You're completely trapped. You're completely Mm -hmm. trapped. This actually reminds me of a maritime, um, disaster. The first submarine ever built, um, was a very long time ago. It was called the Hunley. And, um, it was really just like, you know, submarines are basically like a little tube that are sealed off at both ends, but mm-hmm. it was very, very narrow. Cause it was the first one and it was operated by a crank, like a crankshaft. So men would just sit inside of it and they would just crank away. Like they'd all sit in a row and crank. Mm-hmm. And their, their main job was to like stick some explosives onto like this boat in the dead of night. And then like quickly crank away, like, get, yeah. crank away, except they, I don't think they got far enough away from the explosion. And so the explosion oh. like locked their hatch in. So they were trapped in there <gasps> oh and gosh. they just ran out of air oh. and like all died just trapped in there. And it was horrific. And actually um, I was doing a little bit of reading about it where like in the year 2000, they found the Hunley and were able to like bring it aboard, bring it up. And like, you know, they excavated the bodies and stuff and the bodies were all found like, at their stations, just Jeez. sitting, just sitting like, cause where could yeah, they go? Just, yeah. Where could they go? There was like no sign of panic or mm. sort of anything. They just all sort of like accepted their fate that they couldn't get out. And that's amazing because and died. Yeah. in my mind, I pictured when they excavated it, they would all be huddled in a corner or there'd be, they'd all be strewn about or like basically madness would take over. But the fact mm-hmm. that they just all sat there is yeah. shows you that well, I mean, tra- it was they were really, trained. Yeah. They were super trained. Yeah. And it was and the Hunley was very narrow. It was like, think of like people sitting on either side of like a picnic table. That yeah. was about the space that you had. There was nowhere really to go. So it was really, yeah, it was really mm. horrible. But yeah, when you think about that and it's like being trapped and even like last week with Silicon yeah. and Avatar, yeah. we're just talking some trapped moments here. This is just crazy. That's true. Yeah. Even on the planet with like the open sky, you could still be trapped. I guess that's you fair. Totally I didn't, still be trapped, didn't yeah. think about it that way. I just thought yeah. like submarines are terrifying. Don't ever get but in it the seems, spaceship. It just, yeah, no, no, no. But it just no. seems more, it seems more like finite. Like this is all the space we have. Whereas the yeah. planet, it almost feels like you have infinite space to like Until get out. Until you're trapped in a cave because a crystalline entity is trying to eat you. Because a giant snowflake is trying to eat you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have a couple different stories like Keiko and Miles are in 10 forward with Riker and Data. They're you know, did, you see, did you see Worf lurking behind them? It was the most awkward Worf no! scene. Okay, I want you to go back and watch <laughs> just that scene. This is this is homework for you, Andrea. Go back and watch that scene. 
And while Keiko and Brian, uh, Keiko and Miles are chit chatting about whatever the heck they're talking about, I think they're talking about the baby moving or who knows what. I want you to look at Worf, who's standing behind them, like directly behind them, but he's looking away, but he's clearly eavesdropping on everything they're saying. He what? has no one with him. He has no friends. He's not talking to anyone. He's not even <laughs> sipping a drink. He's just I didn't standing even notice there. this. I, I noticed it because I was like, why is Worf being so creepy? Surely any minute he's going to turn his head and be like, I would like to touch the baby as well. But he doesn't. He just stands there in a super creepy way and doesn't engage. Oh, God. And then the scene ends and you're like, what? Oh, dear God. I guess God. it was to establish that he was there because he does become important in the storyline later. But that scene was They hilarious. couldn't have him like walking in the background to like from the bar to the or table? Or just be in the conversation. Like he yeah. could also just be like, that is interesting that human babies move or whatever. Like yes. he could have easily had a line. Klingons now. would have cut their way out by now or something. <laughs> no, like-, like a true warrior. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but anyways, and I also want to mention that for some reason, Miles and Keiko, I just find them to be the most annoying couple. In yeah. Starfleet. Yeah. I me don't too. know why I can't put my finger on it. Me but too. Seeing them like smiling and cackling. I'm just like, just please next scene. You know what? I've been, I've been in those relationships where you're just so happy to be in each other's company that you're just like overflowing with like happiness and joy. And it kind of comes out, but I also agree. And I'm not irritated by happy couples, but I am annoyed by Keiko and miles. Like, yeah. And I, I don't think, think it's because, because they're happy. It's just, no, them. it is I, them as feel, a couple. They I don't feel like. inorganic to me. It feels uh, shoved down my throat. It feels like Colin was like, I require a certain number of hours of screen time a season or something. And they just shoehorned him in a bunch of places because I was like, who gives a fuck about Keiko's pregnancy? I don't care. I don't know one single person as a fan of Star Trek who gives a shit about them as a couple. Like, I don't care. Yeah. At and least not is- until Deep Space Nine where where Miles is a bridge crew kind of a person. Like, he's a main character. But in TNG, he's very much a side person who shows up from time to time. Totally Like, randomly. just a little, like a little too little much. Sprinkles. Yeah. For a job, for a job that you don't seem to need a ton of training for you just go up with your fingers and that's it. Like that's all you do on the transport pad and boom, people are transported. So maybe this is the story we could talk about first. Cause it's the one we want to get out of the way. Um, you know, Keiko's Ke- super pregnant surprise. By the way, her outfit, her outfit is beautiful and I love it. She's wearing like a, like an olive green dress with like a silk scarf kind of over the top and tied at her shoulder and like asymmetrically over her chest and like down her um, skirt. And I was like, wow, that's really beautiful. I missed that. I must have been uh, holding my eyes too hard at the two of you them. You must have been. You okay. must have been. But her outfit that would be was my beautiful. <laughs> and also Keiko's hair is so goddamn shiny. You need to wear like sunglasses <laughs> because the light reflecting off her healthy, shiny hair is like blinding. It's so beautiful. I've always been. I have very curly, frizzy hair. So shiny is not a term you really apply to curly haired people. And like, when I see her hair, like so sleek and shiny, I'm like, damn it. Even as a kid, I remember being like, dang, that girl's hair is so pretty. And I wish Mm -hmm. I could have hair like that. Right. Um, But like Miles actually has to go off to do something on the bridge before the quantum filament strikes. So she's there as the filament strikes and she's about to pop. Right. She's very pregnant. She's in Mm -hmm. like month eight and change. And this quantum filament hits and she gets thrown around. So I thought immediately like medical emergency yeah, totally. kind of thing. I'm surprised that she didn't um, like this might've been premature labor that she went into because of the mm-hmm. shock of everything going on. Right. right. But I thought they would be more like risk to the baby, but it was just like a pretty straightforward, like 
labor. I thought the same thing too. And I was like, oh my gosh, I hope she doesn't lose the baby. And then I was like, wait, this yes. is TNG. I don't think that's going to happen. No, but it no, could. That's, like, that's if it was way too dark. Yeah. But if it was real life, that absolutely could happen. And so yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder what's going to happen. But next thing you know, you just see her kind of like laying on the ground and you see Riker saying, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. And she's just like, yeah, I'm good. Like I got a little banged up, but everything's fine. So you're like, okay. But we find out pretty quickly, all communications on the entire ship is down. And the bulkheads are closed and everything else. There's no way to get Mm -hmm. anybody to sick bay. So data and Riker have rerouted all sick bay complaints to 10 forward. Yeah. Somehow, I don't know, smoke signals or people run up and down the hallways. (laughs) I don't really know because the communications are down, but anyone who is sick is going to make their way to 10 forward. Bro, they have a town crier (laughs) who just walks up and down the hallway. Yes, it's Troy. (laughs) But at this point, (laughs) she's in the bridge. (laughs) Normally, she's just going up and down the hallways. But hey, guys. Heard what they said, right? <laughs> Tip forward casualties. Okay, see you later. Bye. But this yeah. time she's in the bridge, so she wasn't available. Um, so <laughs> so Keiko's laying there, and Riker and Data decide to go to engineering, which I guess is also part of the storyline. They decide to go to engineering to figure out what's going on and try to get the engines back up or whatever. And they leave Worf and Keiko in charge. Keiko recovers enough to be walking around and tending to the other yeah. patients, and they're kind of like taking care of everything. And then suddenly Keiko goes into labor and the only one available to help deliver the baby is Worf, which is hilarious yeah. because Worf just stands there staring at her open legs with his tricorder out yeah. going, <laughs> well, you have this many centimeters now. He's essentially now many centimeters. He's scanning her vagina mm-hmm. a bunch. Which he could also going, see with his eyeballs, but you know, yeah. <laughs> the measurements are more accurate with the tricorder. Yes. Where he goes, you are seven centimeters dilated. The birth should proceed now, which <laughs> Michael Dorn did ask for some a little bit of like comedic lightening up of yeah. the role because he had told the writers he was kind of sick of getting beaten up every episode. So he wanted yeah. something else. And they were like, sure, we'll throw this labor thing your way. Um, but yeah, so he ends up delivering the baby. This it was pretty funny. Like I did laugh at Worf's Worf's lines because they were they were funny because it was Worf, not because he was trying to be funny. It was just yes. like, you should deliver the baby now, please proceed and she's yeah. like that's what i've been doing and he's yeah. like uh-huh okay well the simulation said you should push now please push and it's yes. like it, yeah yeah it was funny and there were a few times where he's like this is not how the simulation went mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was like i know right <laughs> which i could i could understand keiko's yelling um like when he was like push keiko push push and she's like what do you think i'm doing right it's like mm-hmm. yeah what do you think she's doing Worf? like she's clearly struggling yeah you are very unhelpful right now <laughs> you are extremely unhelpful. You're just there to catch the baby, essentially. And that's mm-hmm. kind of it. Yep. So that's kind of the Keiko thing. Like the baby's born. Everything's fine. Everything is cool. Oh, we still and they thought the baby was a boy in the beginning because they started by arguing over the baby's name, whether it was going to be named after Miles's dad or Keiko's dad and who cares. But when the baby's born, Worf picks the baby up and says, I think she looks more like the chief. And so you're like, oh, oh I didn't it's catch a girl. That. Yeah. I didn't catch that. So they have a girl. Yeah. They have a little right. girl. Okay. Cool. See, Congratulations and- to this couple. Literally nobody gives a fuck about. All right. <laughs> on to more, on to more important stuff. I mean, I'm sure they're thrilled, but like, do we care? No. Um, like not even a little. <laughs> I'm, w- I'm waiting for the emails and like posts to come up on Instagram being like, but I love Keiko and Miles. Please send us that because we don't understand why. Yes. Let us know what the fascination is. If you love Keiko or Miles, I think Keiko is cool on her own. I just don't love Chief O'Brien very much. And Mm. as a couple, you have to see more of them now. And so it's like, yeah, I don't want to see more of you. Like Keiko's cool. Like, let's make her like (laughs) 
kind of like the chief botanist and she can actually like help with missions of some sort. But like Miles, who gives a fuck about him? Um, all right. <laughs> Sharice is shaking her head at me. If you disagree, info at the TNG We want to hear from you. Um, so a couple other things are happening. Um, this one has like less screen time, but I think it's really interesting. Dr. Crusher and and Jordy are in the cargo bay scanning some cargo that they're carrying when this quantum filament hits the Enterprise or vice versa. And they're trapped there and they're going to be in trouble because at some point they're going to run out of air. Was that the question? Well, she um, no, I don't I don't think they were going to run out of air in the beginning. They were just trapped inside. Whatever they did, they couldn't open up the hatches. And then that's right. Right. And then she said, well, is there some manual way that you could pry open the doors? And he goes, yeah, we have these like circle suction things, which I forget what he calls them. But those circle suction things that they always use whenever the doors mm-hmm. get stuck mm-hmm. and they just mm-hmm. like pry, pry them open. So he goes to get them and the wall explodes in his face. Yeah. Because that's the right. conduit behind it got damaged or whatever in the accident. And now yeah. we have this plasma fire. So the plasma fire was actually the, d- causing a little bit of danger, but the bigger danger was all these barrels they were scanning before yeah, radioactive right. material and plasma fire plus radioactive material equals death. So it was yes. causing the radiation to like, to seep out of those bins. Yeah. That's what was going to kill them. So they had like a matter of hours before they died from massive radiation poisoning. Yes. And they couldn't put out the on. fire. Yeah. With the, with the exception. So we had like two main ship explodey scenarios. One was on the bridge when they realized that the secondary containment on the warp engine was failing. And like, if they didn't get it up in time, the ship would explode. And then Dr. Crusher and Jordy in the cargo bay being like, if we don't get this plasma fire under control and stop it, the radiation it's leaking is going to cause these cargo bins to explode, which is going to blow a huge hole in the ship. So we've got like lots of explodey scenarios that we need to put the kibosh on. And I love that what they decided to do, and this is so such a classic like vignette that stands out in my mind. They decide that they're going to open the cargo bay hatch and blow out all the air out of the cargo bay. They were going to hold into space. And it was also going to suck out the barrels, but who cares? Because what we really need is to kill the oxygen in the room to stop the fire from happening. Mm -hmm. Now, as I check my notes, I realized that the thing they said they were going to hold on to to not get sucked out into the blackness of space was a small ladder in the room. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, (laughs) they didn't tie themselves to it. I was like, Beverly, they just rip. held on really tightly with their hands. And I nope. guess that works for you. No, nope. I and feel that's like not, that's not that would not at all. Yeah. No, that, that doesn't work in like any other movie or show I've ever seen about the vacuum of space opening up and all the explosive impact of that oxygen leaving. Yeah. Um, but apparently if you just hold on real tight to a ladder, they didn't even seem like they were holding on that tight. Did, did you it. notice Beverly got kind of jostled around and then Jordy kind of caught her with one, with one hand and sort of Jordy her back held up. her with one arm. So he was yeah. only holding on with one hand while Buddy. space is sucking you out. I was nah, like, okay. dude, the other thing about that, that I kind of called BS on was they had a panel right next to this tiny frail little ladder mm-hmm. ladder of life, right? They had this panel <laughs> and Jordy had programmed the panel to open up the cargo bay doors and to close the cargo bay doors, or maybe that's what the panel always does. But in order to repressurize the cargo bay in order to put the oxygen back in after the fire's out, they had to go to a panel on the other side of the cargo bay. Now, Beverly told us all the things that happen when you're exposed to space, which includes only 15 seconds of consciousness, which includes all the skin that's exposed to space gets burned and blistered, mm-hmm. like all this crazy stuff, which by the way, none of that happened to them, which I feel like it should have. But anyways, 
And I thought, okay, we've already established that we could literally fly the Enterprise from absolutely any panel on this ship. Yeah. Why don't you just reroute that bad boy? If Jordy could just reach yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the- reroute that first before you it, blow out the cargo bay door so you could hit two buttons it. and be done. Come on. Like if the, if the, if the pressure wasn't strong enough to pull him off the ladder of life, when he reached back to push the button to close the door, he could have just pushed the button next to that button to repressurize the room. See, my initial thought on this was Beverly rip up your lab coat into strips Weave them together down. quickly, mm-hmm. like braid it together quickly to make it stronger and tie you and Jordy down to this thing because holding on. And she said, our fingers will get numb. Our hands will get numb. How are you supposed to hold on? And this, she's fluttering <laughs> around like she's maybe like taking the Staten Island ferry and there's just kind of like a good amount of like wind, yeah, but not deep space. Come yeah. on now. Come yeah. on. And yeah. And it actually reminds me of some other more space realistic shows that I've seen yes. when people get blown into space. Like I'm thinking of Battlestar Galactica and I'm yep. thinking of the expanse mm-hmm. and there is a scene in the expanse when a woman does go out into space for like 30 seconds. She's going from one ship to another. It's a total like hail Mary move. And mm-hmm. she's trying to escape the bad guys. And when she gets into the next ship, she does barely make it in time, but she immediately loses consciousness. And when she wakes up, her whole body is burned mm-hmm. it's swollen cracked it's blistered she's bloody Mm -hmm. like her eyes i mean all the stuff and you're like that is what space would do to human body she shouldn't just look like she just woke up from you know yeah sleep yeah no space it uh i looked it up once because one of my students asked and i was like oh good question space is like negative 450 degrees fahrenheit it's the coldest thing in the universe okay um one number two interesting the reason why if you were exposed to space and your skin burns despite the serious cold is a principle in thermodynamics where there's heat and there's absence of heat. There's really no such thing as cold in thermodynamics. There's just heat energy or lack of heat energy. Okay. When you have an extreme lack of heat, like space, the body always wants to go to equilibrium. And so your body heat will reroute all of its heat to that extra cold area to try to heat it back up. But we have so much heat in our bodies that it all rushes there and then it burns the shit out of your skin. That is why people are told never to touch like dry ice with your bare skin because it is so cold that your body heat is rerouting to that extra cold area to try to save it from like um, frostbite. Mm -hmm. And so our body heat, our internal body heat rushing to that small portion of skin is what burns our skin so, so really, badly. We're really blistered from the inside out. Yes. That's amazing. We're, isn't disgusting. that crazy? Yeah. I mean, that is just like insane. It's insane. Yeah. And the thought that you could survive any amount of time in space, which before seeing these space shows, uh, I think like four seconds is like the max or something. But before seeing these space shows, I thought it was, you know, my only point of reference for what was, um, the magic school bus. And instantly when they stepped into space, they froze into solid ice cubes of their bodies. Mm-hmm. So like any amount of seconds, I was like, really? Like, if you just like, boop, boop, like any amount of seconds, you can yeah. not instantly die was really amazing to me. Yeah. And I just feel like I would now this, don't get me wrong. This episode's amazing. I love all the adventure. I love that we could see like every part of the ship in this one mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. And this one scene for me, I wish it was a little more realistic. Yes. I wish they would have gotten some space burns or I wish they would have tied themselves down to something instead of just holding mm-hmm. on to this delicate ladder in the middle of the room. Yeah. 
Just I remember, wish there was a little Beverly, more realism. You remember Beverly and Remember Me? She was getting sucked up by that anomaly, like yeah, the static warp bubble, by the vortex, and she yeah. was literally get, getting her feet were sucked yes. up, and she had to hold on sideways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what would have happened. They would have been holding on with their hands, and their bodies would have been horizontal, flying in yeah. the air you know, like whipping away like a flag trying to get out. And they would have had to tie themselves to the panel, not to the ladder so that they could push the button because they wouldn't have been able to move their hands very, very far. Oh, absolutely. So the other thing that you have to take into account with space is pressure. There's no pressure out there because we are adapted to live on the surface of this planet. We're adapted to live under one atmosphere of pressure at sea level a little bit less atmospheres of pressure, like at higher levels or a little bit more at lower levels, but there's no pressure there. So we would immediately inflate like a balloon and just burst. That's like, that's another thing that they did. I mean, like, yeah. obviously we don't she want did to see mention that. The, yeah. She did mention the lung thing. She was like, you're going to feel pressure on your lungs, like pulling yeah. all the oxygen out. Um, definitely like what she said, something like resist the urge to, to exhale, exhale yeah. keep all your breath in. And they hyperventilated themselves before they opened it, which mm-hmm. was a little bit of like, so I could tell they asked somebody something mm-hmm. like yeah. I could tell from all the things she said. And like the fact that they were breathing really hard to put as much oxygen in their mm-hmm. body as they could before they were mm-hmm. kind of deprived of it. So that felt like a little bit of research had been done, but I, yeah, at the very least seeing their bodies horizontal and pulled their shoes flying off something. Something. More. It felt a little bit like a picnic. Like it was just a little light, where like, I would have loved to see yeah, a little bit more. I don't want to see a BSG level of somebody getting like airlocked and then like their vision going black, right, like right. all that, right. because that's not what TNG is. It's a very utopic kind of show, but like something a little more would have been nice. I mean, the barrels got sucked out in seconds, but the people didn't. And the barrels they were just, like way they just heavier danced than a around a ladder for a while. They just yeah. fluttered around a ladder. All right. I'm done complaining anyway. about that scene. That's what happened there. <laughs> All was well. I do, I do love the bruise. scene. I do love the scene. I wish they would have done a little more, but yeah. They didn't even have okay. the adorable little cut over the eyebrow. No. Yeah. Nothing. Just the super cute or the little, like on the apple of your cheek right there. Like that's a cute, <laughs> that's a cute cut. Yeah. yeah. Girls in movies always get cute cuts, right? Boys always get their shirts ripped off and their muscles exposed. That's about it. Anyway. Um, so there's another, so they end up like killing the plasma fire and all's well that ends well. They're fine. They repressurize, they can breathe. That's the last we see of them. They're good. Um, I think one of the most interesting things that's happening aboard the ship is that Troy is left in command and has complete lack of training. And she has to figure out what the F is going on. And I do not envy her position whatsoever because communications are down. You can't even tell if there's anybody left aboard the ship that's alive. She Mm -hmm. can sense some people, not where they are though. And like, you know, Ensign Rowe busts in, which by the way, Ensign Rowe was not on the bridge when this emergency happened, but she was able to climb through an emergency bulkhead and open the turbo lift doors on her own. No girl. Yeah. She no. climbed, she climbed, Bullshit. In, she climbed in before the bulkheads dropped closed. Where did she climb from? I don't know. Why seems was she like in she the turbo, lift, turbo lift Seems like she was in a turbo lift close to the bridge and she was able to climb up out of the turbo lift. On. But even still, did you see that other ensign who was like trying to open the turbo lift doors and couldn't and he was like we're trapped and she comes swinging that door open and swinging in like indiana jones and i'm like um girl maybe she had a circle suction thingy that was only on the insides i don't know i also thought when that other ensign was like we're trapped the the turbo lifts is closed and the emergency bulkheads are down well before he said the emergency bulkheads are down when he just said the turbo lifts closed we're trapped i was like i literally wrote my notes what about the Jeffrey's tubes? Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. We're trapped because that one Two words. Lift Jeffrey's tubes. Yeah. yeah. And also we've got doors like all around this piece. We've got doors to the ready room. We've got doors to observation lounge. We've got doors. To, yeah. Like it's not the only plate, the only entrance to the bridge. So 
that of like, oh, this one door is closed. We're sealed in and we're trapped. I was like, no, there's lots of other entrances. And granted, you probably shouldn't have a Jeffrey's tube directly to the bridge because that is a bit of a security leak. However, you should have one directly to the bridge when you need to access the bridge. Yeah, so it's kind of like a like a catch 22. Yeah. But either way, I'm sure they've used it before or will use it in another episode or something. So I was like, come on. But yeah, somehow, like Indiana Jones, Roe manages to break through when no one else can. And she gets in just in time before all the bulkheads go down and the bridge is cut off from everything else, because that's an emergency measure that the computer does when the main computer's off the backup computer or something. I don't know. So I do love this scene where Roe and O'Brien are talking about what they should do next. And O'Brien is just like, Oh, I believe counselor Troy is, is in charge here because she's got the rank of Lieutenant commander. And Troy's mm-hmm. just like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and she was like, I, she was just, she was just listening in on the conversation. She wasn't even pitching in her idea. She's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what else? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, you're in charge, sir. What are your orders? And I love her response. What are your suggestions? And yes. like, whatever they said, she's like, yes, yes, do that. I was that like, that good. is the most genius thing to do in this scenario. You've got more <laughs> experienced officers. You are taking command because she wasn't like, I don't want command. You take it, mm-hmm. O'Brien. Mm-hmm. She took command. She took it. But she also was wise enough to know what she didn't know and mm-hmm. to get other people's help. And I just thought, like, note to self. <laughs> yes. If you're ever in this unfortunate situation, don't get don't let your pride or your ego get in the way of yes. doing this. Especially thing. not in a life or death when you're in an emergency yes. situation. Exactly. It's time to keep a calm head and rely on the strengths of those around you. Absolutely. 100%. Um, and Ensign Rowe is none too pleased that she doesn't get to take command of the ship. And I was like, girl, you're an ensign. Or just that Counselor Troy is in charge. I think that's the thing. If anyone else was in charge, I mean, she would always have attitude because that's her way. But yeah. I think if an actual experienced officer was in charge, she'd be like, okay. But because the yeah, counselor, and right. we, I think she is we, more pissed that it's Troy yeah, who's in we charge. We all know Troy doesn't know what she's doing in this particular scenario. Mm-hmm. This if is it was, where, like, yeah. this is where it's like, okay, I am severely lacking in some training. And I do love that there's follow up to this episode later on. Mm-hmm. I think next season, where she's like, Hey guys, remember when I was left in charge of the Enterprise when nobody could get to the bridge because of the like, you know, quantum filament? I'm going to want to go ahead and bone up on some training, which I was like, you go, girl, like make Mm -hmm. yourself useful. This is good. Now, they end up determining that like secondary containment on the warp core is going down quickly. And if it gets below 15% containment, the entire ship is going to explode. And it just feels like, okay, after... (laughs) After the plasma fire potential explosion and this, it feels like the Simpsons that became a running gag were like yeah. something would crash, like a fire truck would crash and explode into flames. And then an ice cream truck would explode into flames when it crashed. And then it was like a tricycle tipped over and exploded mm-hmm. into flames. Like everything has a risk of exploding into flames. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at one point, like a kite very gently, like fluttered down to the ground and then like exploded into flames. Mm-hmm. So it just became this like running gag. And I feel like they were leaning a little heavily on the exploding into flames thing, but all right, fine. Um, And Counselor Troy is like, okay, I need some options here because if we're under 15%, this, this fucker is going to explode. And like, what are we going to do about this? And Ensign Rowe is very Ensign Rowe. She's like, we're going to cut ties and run. That's what Mm -hmm. we're doing. Separate the saucer section and take as much space away from the star drive as we can before that baby goes supernova. And Troy's like, what? And leave everybody right. and, and O'Brien is like, yeah, O'Brien is like, no, we can't do that. That would be killing everyone else. That would be, wouldn't be giving them a chance. Everything O'Brien said, I agreed with. And I wanted him to come up with an alternate strategy. Yes. I was like, yes, we all know that leaving everybody else to die sucks. Roe even said that she was like, we don't know if anyone's alive. If someone was alive, I wouldn't want to be left behind. Like I wouldn't want that either, but we don't even know that. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, Ro, is at, Ro at least has a plan for at mm-hmm. least somebody to survive. The four of mm-hmm. them will make it, you know, but what I, I totally agree with O'Brien that they need to figure out some other way, but I really was waiting for him to come up with a suggestion and he didn't. It was just like, no, no, you're wrong. Okay. That's not helpful. That's not helping yes. Troy make a decision. So Troy just yes. goes, well, just keep doing what you're doing then, I guess. And we'll just like keep our eyes on it and see what happens. And it's like, oof. And you it's can see going my- down though. Yes, like the it's going down. of containment is going down and we're going to need to do some quick fixies here, people. But she yeah, does absolutely. do, she does take an action. And the action was to reroute power from the bridge to engineering, specifically to the sensors around the containment field. So that anyone who might still be alive in the area could at least see that that's going on. Because I think O'Brien mentioned, even if someone's alive down there, they can't see the sensors. So they won't even know because there's no power down there. So she rerouted power from the bridge to make sure that anyone down there could see the sensors. And I guess her plan was before it got to 15%, if nothing had been done, then they would cut and run and try to get as far away as they could. Mm -hmm. So I think by the end, they got down to like 20%. So now we're going from 60% down to 20%. So now we're kind of at the wire. And then at the last second, it does get restored. And that's kind of the end of their storyline. Um, yeah. That plan worked. And what I what I really appreciate here is Roe turns to Troy and is like, you were right. And I'm and I was wrong. I'm sorry. And I was just like, this is why I like this is why I like Roe so much. Mm-hmm. Like she yeah. is tough and she has an attitude and she doesn't apologize for it, which I appreciate. And here when she's wrong, she says she's wrong. Like yeah. she could have easily been like, hmm. Well, but I could have still been right though, but she did it. Yeah. She was just like, yeah. you were right. And I was wrong. And I'm glad that nobody died because she didn't want anybody to die. Yeah. She also just didn't want herself to die. And yeah. I appreciate Troy's response. She was just like, you could have been right too. Like they were yeah, both kind of like just as easily been right, which is so true. Yeah. They both just kind of like shook hands. They didn't, but metaphorically, they both yes. just kind of shook hands and were like, yeah. there was no right answer in the scenario. And I'm glad yeah. that everybody made it. Yeah. Yeah. And- I-, I like that too. I like the accountability in mm-hmm. my book. There is nothing more fabulous in people than like accountability and taking responsibility for your actions. Um, even if they're the wrong ones, own it, own it. None of us here are perfect. Own when you fucked up, right. Own when you pushed a little too hard. And I love that Troy, when she was being pushed by Rose, like it's time to go. Like we're at like 17%. We got to bust a move. First of all, the saucer section only has impulse drive. So you will never get far enough. You can't get far enough away from the star drive to be not damaged by the explosion. There's just no way. And I think that was Rose point. That's why she wanted to go like two hours ago. (laughs) Because she was like, it's going to take us a long time to get away. To get away a very long time. Right. By 17%. The die has been cast. Like you're you're in the blast zone. It's too Seriously, late now. Might as well. But say. I love I love that Troy said, "We will leave when I say, and not before." And I was like, "Yes, go girl!" Like she's had that spine. One thing I did notice is that Troy, Roe, and O'Brien were playing command <laughs> at one point because they met in the observation lounge to discuss options. There's literally nobody else on the bridge. There's Where one, are you there's going? There's that one other guy. There's that ensign. There's the one dude and a dead body on the floor. Come I feel on, like the ensign could have overheard that conversation. Like, I don't think they needed to go into the observation lounge. They could have stayed on the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you going? Something about those chairs and that table maybe focuses concentration. And and, and then Troy, (laughs) Troy pulled the like 
get up and look pensively out the window move. And I just wrote LOL. Cause I was like, girl, you're just playing <laughs> command at this point. You're just playing command. Like, what do you want? The You don't want the dead body to overhear you. Like maybe the ensign's got some other ideas. We've literally never seen him before. He might have some like pulling rabbit out of a hat ability and like mm-hmm. fix this situation. Yeah. Ugh. anyway, <laughs> anyway. All right. I think one of the least interesting storylines besides the Keiko thing, because I just don't care about Keiko, but is Picard. Picard is being sent to like give these like science fair award winners a tour of the ship. The ship which they question won, mark, question know. mark. Why Picard of all people? Why would he, I get that they won the science fair and they get a tour of the ship and that's nice. There are, a, there are thousands, like over a thousand people on the ship. Yeah. I don't think it's appropriate for the captain to be the one to give a tour. Yeah. I th- Well, I think it feels like a big enough prize where like, if you win this, like the captain can like show you around the ship or whatever, which by the way, you live on the ship. You already know where everything is, unless it's going to take you to restricted areas, which he won't. You already know where everything is. Like, where are you going? Yeah. The Arboretum. Dude, I picnic here with my mom every Monday afternoon. Like yeah. there's nothing new to see here. So yeah, I agree with you. I feel like if anything, the prize should have been like the XO will take you around. Yeah, that feels like a big enough prize yeah. without mm-hmm. the captain having to be busy with this other shit that doesn't matter. Well, all right, whatever. And the second they get in the turbo lift, the quantum filament hits them and Picard's ankle gets busted and these kids start crying, which is Picard's nightmare and mine. And he's <laughs> like, they're like, we're all going to die. And he's like, no, we're not going to die. I need you to keep it together. And they're like, ah! like, it's just like even more crying. Yeah, it was the least effective uh. pep talk in the history of man. Oh, by the way, mentioning the quantum filament. Do you remember the scene where Troy is talking to O'Brien? And then she goes, oh, is it like that quantum string that they saw that long? Yeah. Like and he's like, ago? you couldn't be more wrong, by the way, Troy. She's like, oh. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like laughing so hard at that. No, it's a completely different phenomenon. Obviously, Troy, what a stupid yeah. question. And I, I just love how like, she just quietly just kind of looks at the monitor. Right. She's just like, and like mm-hmm. OK. <laughs> yep. She totally like just like kind of shrinks a little bit that moment. And I kind of felt like, seriously, O'Brien, seriously, that string was stupid. And this quantum filament is stupider. So don't be making her feel bad about it. I'm sorry. You're telling me the properties of both are that they can be hundreds of miles long, have zero width and mm-hmm. zero mass. And and I'm I sound like an idiot for suggesting it might be like the same thing. The same thing. Yeah. I, I was I was the same How way. I was dare like, you, sir. Yeah. And I mean, O'Brien wasn't a jerk about it. I'm totally exaggerating. However, I just felt like <laughs> these are the same thing. Don't be trying to make her feel dumb. Don't try yeah. to make her feel dumb. Also, she's thing. trying the best she can. She's got a play kit, right? With her. She's got like she's playing patty cakes with her little plastic pans, and you're out here trying to make her feel stupid. It's like she's doing the best she can with the tools that she has. And yeah. the tools that she has are linguistics expert and hypnotist. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's all she's got. And an empath and sometimes mind reader. That's all she's yeah. got, okay? Nothing mm-hmm. in this scenario. Dream communicator. <laughs> nothing about this says subspace like physicist. She's trying the best she can. She has okay? the most interesting toolbox, I have to say, of anyone. She really on the does. Show. She really does. Anyway. Okay, so back, so sorry, Picard, back to the tr- yeah, you just Picard, when you said that quantum, <laughs> I was just like, that is the string, man. That's the string. That's I a gigantic huge I, string. <laughs> I thought the same thing when I saw that and I meant to write it down, but then I forgot. But yeah. Um, Yeah. So Picard is like trying to pep up his team and he's like, how about this? I'm going to give you guys each a pip off my collar. I'm going to give you some sort of superfluous like command and make you part of my crew so I could, you know, rally the troops and get Mm y'all to work together. 
actually really so, liked that. I thought that was that super was cute. cute. Like was I like the, the two pips were her number one and the other mm-hmm. officers each got one pip. And I love how the, the last one who was waiting was Patterson was like, can I join the crew? Yeah. Like, and he's, and he's like, like, you were in charge of radishes, right? Like some sort of, and by yeah. the way, his experiment was described in the most kid terms ever. It was so real. Yeah. Cause he was, was like, what was your experiment? Cause like one kid was like, I've observed the patterns of subspace community. Dude. No, you didn't. Like, and if you did, that's not how it's described by a 10 year old. Yeah. But this eight year old was like, I grew some radishes and some weird dirt and they came out looking weird. And I was like, that right there is how kids talk. That's yeah. exactly how this kid. So I called him radish boy going forward because I couldn't remember his name. So Marissa, the subspace kid and radish boy end up Jay Gordon. <laughs> thank you, Jay Gordon. That's right. They end up opening a panel, pulling out all the fiber optic cable, which I was like, do you have any to spare for Jordy and Crusher? Because they are not trying to talk to shit. Okay. These are adults that should be thinking of this kind of shit. And these kids are like, let's tie ourselves together like a chain. So if one person falls, we can all take the weight. Thank you, kids and Picard for coming up with this. So they tie themselves together and they end up making their way out of the turbo lift, which I had a question about this. They didn't show it, obviously, because it's not realistic. But how on earth did Picard climb out of a turbo lift with a broken ankle and you have to, like, jump or at all to catch the hatch? Yeah, you can't reach the hatch. How did you climb it? I could see how he helped the kids up. Yeah, he got got one kid up. I think he got I think it was Jay Gordon who he got out and asked him about, like, the emergency lock system, what was going on with it, what it looked like. And that's why one was was broken. Yeah. Yeah. Why Picard was like, okay, now this, this elevator is going to drop. This turbo lift is going to drop at some point. So we need to get you kids out of here as soon as possible. So it made sense that he was tall enough to put every single kid out, but it didn't make any sense how he himself got out, even without the broken ankle, because he couldn't reach and no one could pull him up. Unless, unless he's got like, yeah. um, Unless he's got like ultra upper body strength that we didn't know about. This is not possible, but anyway, I'm going to say, I'm going to say he used the circle suction thingies to suction <laughs> to the side of the wall and then just pulled himself up like a rock climber. I, yeah, I, we're going to go with what? that. You're really big on that circle suction thing. Yeah. He named it. Jordy totally said the name of it. And I knew what he was talking about, but I don't oh, remember, God, what it, was. I don't it, was remember like it Manual all. door opener, override, something, something, something manual said, override, yeah. maybe. I don't know. Anyway, he's, he magicked himself out of the turbo lift and they're all climbing and Picard, poor Picard is climbing with a broken ankle, which means his bad leg is hanging down and he's got to do a little hop up to every mm-hmm. rung on the ladder, which I have done that. And it's freaking exhausting. And I'm in good shape. Yeah. And that's really, really hard to do up a metal ladder with little skinny rungs that are like painful to hold on to. I was mm-hmm. like, oof, I don't want to be in this position. So the kids start crying and freaking out because the turbo lift drops down and it's really cool seeing it going boom and like down it and away. Is. And thank God that Picard wasn't in it. I'm glad that the, the crew decided we all go together or not at all, or we all stay together. Like we're not going to leave you behind. Yeah, we're he not going died to as sure as he was he sitting was, there. Yeah. Yeah. And also I thought to myself as that turbo lift plummeted to the bottom of the ship, did it punch a hole in the ship? Did it crash the bottom of the ship? Did it smash? Is there now like a kill somebody who was also climbing? Yeah. Who was like also yeah. trying to climb up? I had, or something? Yeah. I had a lot of questions about that specific scene. Like what was the aftermath of this one action here? Mm-hmm. But we don't ever get that answer. But I was, I was curious about that. Yeah. So the kids freak out as they should, as would yeah. I, as a grown yeah. woman, I'd be like, oh yeah. my gosh, I was inside that turbo lift and it could yes. fall while I was in it. Yes, uh. totally. 
And so then Picard has this great idea of let's sing a song. Let's see sing a climbing song to lift our spirits. And they do, mm-hmm. and it does, and it works. And it actually thought uh, reminded me of right now I'm doing my annual re-read of the Lord of the Rings series, which is a, one of my favorite series of books. But one of the things that challenges me with this series of books is that Tolkien, for some reason, wrote a song about everything, everything. And every <laughs> few pages, one of the characters breaks into song about <laughs> everything that's ever happened in the history of this character's life. And they go walking down the street, looking at the trees. And like, you're like, oh my gosh, it's just like minutes of song. And, <laughs> and, and it's so frustrating to me. And I used to, when I would read the books as books, I would just flip the pages because the songs would all be italicized. So yeah. I would just keep flipping pages until I didn't see any more italics. And then I'd go yeah. back home with the story, but so- now I do audiobook, So there's no way to flip the pages. I don't know how many pages. So I'm just like, Alexa, fast forward two minutes. <laughs> I hope that I didn't just skip everybody's two minutes for forward in our show, but I just keep fast forwarding minutes until like the song, until the, the reader stops singing. And so yeah. When I was watching this episode and he was like, we need a, wa- a climbing song. I was like, Oh God, not another song. <laughs> not another oh song. my God. So many, I, we need a walking song and an girl, eating song. And Oh, I love, I, let me tell you, I love going to the theater. Um, I usually only go to the theater around like Thanksgiving and Christmas because that's when like it's time to go out and do fancy things. Right. So like my mom and I usually go to the theater and like around that time of year is like where all the big productions are coming out locally and whatever. And girl, we went to see a production of anything goes, which is this like really cute, um, musical, but when they say musical, they meant musical as fuck. Okay. Because (laughs) and I was like, by the end, I was like, no more songs. Like I was so upset girl, somebody would like walk down the street and buy an apple and be like, I've got an apple today. It's a great day. And then the song would go on for 10 freaking minutes and then end. And then somebody else would like pass that person right on stage and like stub their toe and be like, stub my toe, stub my toe. I was like, stop, stop, stop with this. Like there was three words maximum spoken between each song. And I was like, Dear God, please no more. Like I felt like I felt like Jordy in the mind's eye where his eyes were open. He's just forced to watch. It's like, oh, please, no more song. Please, I no agree more. with you. I agree with you. The last musical I saw, actually, the second to last musical I saw, I was like, I never want to see a musical again. And yeah. I like a good musical, but I was just like, me I can't, too. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And then there was another musical that me and my mom went to see like months later. Mm-hmm. And at the halfway point, I was like, all right, um, how are you feeling about this? I think, <laughs> I think we kind of got the gist of it. And she was just like, she actually burst out laughing and everyone in the audience turned and looked at us. And I was like, um, sorry about that. <laughs> so we really are going now. So yeah. we just kind of snuck out the back and we just like, <laughs> like, we're good. We're super See, good I, on this. Half of I it was like, good enough. Yeah. I feel like there are <laughs> by musicals. I mean, 10 musical numbers and the whole thing in the in the span of like three hours of a play, I right? Greece. That's good. Yes. I want, yeah. give me a song here and there. Give me, you know, five songs as a takeaway. Great. But five words spoken between every song. <laughs> unacceptable. What kind of torture camp are you running here? What is this? How dare you? Uh, it's not so, a musical. It's an operetta. Just call it that. So that was, uh, the, that was a little bit of a nightmare hole that I fell into when I heard Sarah Jaka. <laughs> I was like, not a climbing song. Can't we just climb? Can't we just climb in silence and peace? Can't we just play the quiet game? (laughs) But anyways, Fairy Jocka lifted their spirits. 
they got to the top of the tour as every French song does apparently okay I like how they all knew the words and it's in French and I was like yeah I was like y'all know the French words I didn't know that I didn't know any of that all I knew was Farrah Jacques I didn't know there was more words to it so I remember singing it as a kid but my dad my dad was European so like and he spoke many languages so like that he's one of the languages he spoke was French um, but he had like forgotten it all before I was born. So I never got the benefit of that. But he did sing for Jacques every once in a blue moon. It's like a childhood song. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But the fact that these 24th century kids are singing this, I was like, what? Okay. Knew all the words. That was pretty impressive. In the end, they get out of the turbo lift. And I agree with you. This is the least exciting of the four storylines because, okay. I mean, they didn't die. That's great. And they made it out. And, and we knew they wouldn't. So yeah, it's Picard. We know he wouldn't die. And especially there's kids. So they really can't die because that would suck for the story. So like, you're fine. The last little like side story we have that's just really quick is where Riker and Data go off to main engineering and they end up crawling through the Jeffries tubes. But before we get to that part, just to round up the Picard story at the very end, all is well. The kids come back up to the bridge to say thank you to Picard and they give him this really adorable placard where it's just like dear captain thank you for helping us when we were scared it was just it was really really so cute really cute and then that's when Picard's like all right I'm going to take you on a tour and I'm going to take you to see the battle bridge and the torpedo bay which is all Patterson wanted to see in the beginning and he's all like no 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 we will only see hydroponics and astrometrics or whatever like he wants to take them to places that were not as exciting yeah. And then after their harrowing adventure, he's like, all right, I'll take you to the battle bridge. All right. I mean, fun stuff. Yeah. Why not? Like, what are they going to do? They're just going to look at it. Like, but so anyways, he decides to give in and take them, take them to see something fun. So it's actually a reward. He's going to take that optical cable and tie their hands to their waist. So they can't touch anything. <laughs> <laughs> this cord just keeps coming up with uses. <laughs> he's like, everybody tie your hands together. Nobody touch anything. But yes, you can look with your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> So that's the end of that storyline. And he says something about do something. Number one, like take the bridge or who you knows have what the bridge. You have the bridge. Number one. Yeah. And then both Marissa and Riker say, I captain. That's the cute part we mentioned earlier. Yeah. So that kind of wraps up that storyline. It was cute, but definitely the least exciting of everything going on in this episode. Yeah. And I wonder There's a why dude that... in an elevator with some kids. It's not, yeah. I don't yeah. know why that's the part that stuck out in my head about this whole episode when that is the least exciting part. I think, I think because Picard never interacts with kids. So the fact that he's like stuck with kids and has to like, has to interact with them and help them out of this emergency is so unique. rare mm-hmm. is so rare and unique that like, it stands out. The last little like micro vignette is data and Riker going off to yes. um, main engineering from 10 forward. And they have to crawl through some Jeffries tubes. And did you notice, you know, they're crawling through the Jeffries tube and they're like, cool and leak. Cause smoke starts billowing everywhere. And they kind of crawl forward real quick and shut the door. Mm-hmm. And Riker's like, Ooh, thank God that's over. And data kind of does one of these like poke and point where he's like, look up ahead. And there's this huge arc of electricity, like sparking mm-hmm. everywhere. Did you notice that Riker like put his flashlight up to see it? And I'm like, buddy, (laughs) right and loud. Like you do not need a flashlight to see the lightning storm that's right up ahead of you. But okay, sure. You want to get a better look. (laughs) Data ends up realizing that their only way through is if he, because he's mostly insulated, sacrifices his body to stand in the way and short, you know, he closes, um, he closes out the circuit and like it dies. And so- this is a crazy one, which the writers did not think they would get permission to do. And they were like, Rick Berman is for sure going to shut this down, but we're going to write it anyway and just see what happens. 
is they end up taking, you know, Riker ends up taking Data's head with him to main because engineering. His body won't move now that it's because, all been shorted out. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think this totally tracks with the way they did this electricity thing, but whatever. It looks super cool. It, it did looks look cool. cool. And Data somehow remembers the experience of being electrocuted, which is yes. also kind of nutso. And then he walks and he can't move, but he remembers everything. His brain is fine. So he walks Riker through how to dismantle his head from his body because Riker was like, I can't leave you behind because I might need your help when I get to engineering. And he's like, okay, I'll just tell you how to take my head off. And Riker's just like, I'm sorry, what? You want me to carry your head around? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. He's like, that won't be weird. He's like, not for me. So, okay. So he takes his head and it turned out to save the day because he could stick it. He could plug his head directly into the ship. And now data can control parts of the ship. Which was super cool. It was super cool. That was super cool. And just seeing Data's head on a tray. And again, I'm like, how did I not remember Data's head on a tray? I know, right? With his thoughts. Like, I know. I know. That's super cool. Well, the writers were like, for sure, we're going to get this shot down. And when they took the final script to Rick Berman, he didn't say a word about it and they were able to do it. And so it was like, oh, awesome. We get to have this like thing where like Data's head is all plugged in. I love when Riker like misconnected something and Data's face like started winking. And I was like, yay. You go Brent Spiner being like funny in your data way. Like I thought it was cute. And of course they realized, thankfully Troy had the right idea. They realized like, wait a minute, the ship has no power, but main engineering's panels are all lit up. So there must be something here that like they need us to see. And then they realized like secondary containment on that warp core was at like 16% and falling. And they're like, oh shit. So they had to you know, really quickly put containment back up and data in the nick of time obviously was able to do it. So all's well, that ends well. Um, and data got a new body. Apparently they had a, another one in storage, I guess, or something. I'm I sure they know. just re- rebooted his body, sent a few yeah. things into the Jeffrey's tube to, you know what they, did the, they didn't, they did the Nintendo trick and just blew on the cartridge a bunch yeah. of times, flip the switch off and on in his back and he booted up, you know, they did yep. a control alt delete. And now that I think about it, they wouldn't even need somebody to drag his body out. They just do a site to site transport wherever data's head may be. Yeah. Data yeah. can walk them through, plug it in back in and bring yep. him back up. Yeah. Yeah. Done so everything was, everything was fine. Um, what are your final thoughts on this episode? This was a really exciting episode and I love that it gave us so many views of the ship. I think that is probably mm-hmm. the coolest aspect that we're seeing. Cause we were in 10 forward, but we were actually looking at it from a bunch of different angles. It wasn't the yes. normal angle we usually look at it from. And we were in Jeffrey's tubes, but they had tiny tubes and they had a big enough tube for data to stand in. And we had like some different views. We were in a cargo bay, but we were seeing the cargo bay from a different angle. And we just got to see all these different parts of the enterprise, which I thought was really, really lovely. And I also thought this was way more exciting than I remembered. Mm-hmm. What about it you? It was. Um, right off the bat, I was like, I feel like I could have done without the Keiko labor scenes. It felt like it just dragged on and on and on and on. But That was like, whatever. Um, Other than that, I felt like this was a really cool slice of life episode. It started off a slice of life and it didn't ever stop Mm -hmm. because when there's a problem aboard the enterprise, we see the whole team working together to solve this problem. So it's really cool to see how different people tackle different problems. Like even if the problem is the same and Jordy's trying to handle it from engineering and Picard's on the bridge and Crusher is on standby in sickbay waiting to like receive injured colonists or whatever, like it's one problem. This was like, eight different problems and eight different teams working on those problems. And they never communicated with each other because they weren't able to. So mm-hmm. it felt really cool. It felt like slice of life continued. It, I, I really enjoyed this. 
I think I will rewatch this episode, but maybe just fast forward through the light Keiko stuff and fast forward through the turbo lift stuff. Cause like, that's mm-hmm. not really exciting, but the, the cargo bay and watching Troy, like kind of take the mantle of command. I thought it was really neat. I enjoyed it. On that note, next week, we are talking season five, episode six, the game, which is extremely creepy. Um, <laughs> look forward to breaking that down with you, Sharice. Thank you so much for nerding out with us, everybody. And for listening along with us. And we will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.